and welcome to Cursed Objects with me, Dr. Kasha T. And me, Dan Hancocks. Hi. Today, we're going to be talking about the material culture of dating. Typically, this would be the things that you might buy or receive from a former or present boyfriend or girlfriend or person that you're seeing that you might keep or cherish, even if the relationship goes awry. It can also, however, as in today's episode, include the cogs and wheels that operate behind modern day romance. The cursed object I have brought in is a hinge bath bomb. Now, taken individually, these words give very little insight into what the product actually is or does. (laughs) Hinges to those not in the know, not a movable joint, but an online dating app. Users create a profile typically including six pictures, which are interspersed with three stock questions chosen from around 20-ish and your personalised answers. Your profile also contains your dating preferences, male, female, smoker, drug taker, and other users can see your profile and reply to your pictures or questions. For the most part, online dating passed me by It was fairly late in their development that I joined the apps, as they are slightly derisively known by their users. (laughs) People do say the apps, don't they? Like People do say the apps. Are are you on the apps? (laughs) Are you on the apps? Oh, God, I'm fed up with the apps. (laughs) Yeah, fuck the apps. (laughs) I'm off the apps. Like, it's always the apps. Yeah, being off the apps is a bit like telling someone you've given up smoking, and there's a sort of implication that you may may well slide back, such as the weakness of the human condition, but you won't be fucking happy about it when you do. Yeah, like you you haven't gone so far to, like fully delete them or maybe you've just gone to that like you've gone to that level of deleting them knowing fully well knowing that you're gonna get them back which is sort of, <laughs> was sort of like vaping or something <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and I think usually when people refer to the apps they're talking about what I would call the holy trinity of dating apps oh boy so these include tinder it's kind of known as the direct but sleazy app when you say direct you mean like come on let's like let's go on a date and sleep together you you mean like there, there's not faffing around or there's not there's a no sense nonsense. of trying to get yeah there's, there's not a sense of trying to get to know people and it's sort of like wheedle out the ones that like actually would be a genuinely good match it's more it's it's more functional <laughs> essentially it's kind of saying. yeah it's kind of like there's no pretense that it's anything other than vacuous like that it's yeah. anything other than you look you look fit I want to have sex with you. I might meet up with you. There's no pretense of like, oh, I might like you. I mean, you might like them as well. But that's like, but that would be chance. And that's because it's, Mm. that sort of, that directness is kind of mediated through the functionality of the app, right? In In the sense that like, the algorithm is not so sophisticated that it asks you questions that then seeks to match you with somebody suited, right? Right. It's your photos, a couple of lines of text, your age and sexual orientation is that it i guess all i'm yeah. saying is like the way that these apps f- actually function the que- the number of questions they ask of you and the sophistication of the algorithm in trying to get people who are likely to form a sort of lasting couple together that varies from app to app right yeah so we have tinder which is kind of like a more of a sleazy app and then we have bumble The gimmick is when the woman asks the kind of first question, I think. So men can like her profile, but only she has the power to uh, respond to them and ask them questions. And I think it was kind of created in this way to kind of circumnavigate the kind of free-for-all that is Tinder. 
Well, to address address the fact that that men, straight men, were thought to be misusing Tinder in the yeah. sense that they would just swipe right on every woman, and then <laughs> own, this is how this is as I understand it, like the rationale behind Bumble. So they would swipe mm. right on every single woman, and then you know, so say like whatever, ten percent of those swipes um, become matches. They would then only bother to reply to the ones that they actually fancied. So, which mm. is sort of like it's not against the rules exactly because there aren't rules. It's a fucking app, but it's mm. against the spirit of how the app was supposed to be used, and it makes <laughs> life harder for straight women uh, or women who are interested in men, and easier for straight men who were taking the piss. I mean, there's a metaphor there, and you know, an allegory rather, in terms of like the way that men sort of straight men treat dating generally, arguably. Yeah, but, but like Bumble, as I understood it, was supposed to address that, redress that imbalance by sort of handing power over to straight women to begin the conversation, which, mm. uh, which I thought sounded really interesting and empowering. And then I joined Bumble and realised it was full of Tories. Yeah, because well, this is ago. the thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know whether it's just because the Instagram account, Tories of Bumble, is just so good. I don't know. And it was like one of the kind of first that I kind of saw that was really taking the piss out of the content of... I don't know, like conservatives on a dating app. And it was so, uh, like such a strong cultural reference point that now in my head, I'm just like, Bumble has a high, a high Tory voting usage. Like the people that use it are Tories. But I don't yeah. know, I don't know why there would be more Tories on Bumble than there would be on any other app. <laughs> right. That's a really difficult question. It's a really interesting one. I mean, I was just going to ask you to explain Tories of Bumble because I feel like Tories, the phrase Tories of Bumble is going to completely like, bamboozle some of our <laughs> listeners who are like have never been on dating apps and are never going to go on mm. dating apps but but yeah it, it's sort of baffling but actually i think it comes down to the kind of thing we're going to talk about mostly today which is like how marketing functions as kind of a central plank of the existence of these apps and if there are more wealthy youngish single people who are looking for love on Bumble, then that's because they've specifically, you know, that's not going to be an accident. Like, I think it's very rarely accidental when things like this happen. And it can only be that the way that Bumble have spent their vast marketing budget over the last three years has resulted in a user base that is more likely to be somebody that does British military fitness in, on Clapham Common at the weekends and works in Canary Wharf. <laughs> and those aren't people you want to hang out with. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, may, and then maybe you get sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where like that reputation sort of spreads. And so more people who do British military fitness at the weekend on Clapham Common mm. and work in Canary Wharf for Goldman Sachs join the mm. app as well. But it certainly was reflected in what I saw, but then, you know, I live in London. There's probably just a lot of people like that about, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a bit of a weird one because that image now is now solidified in my head. I found Tories yes. on other dating apps, I guess. but the, I, They are still I allowed the to that, join other apps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess one of the things that's interesting, though, is when you have like an app like Hinge, its gimmick is that the owners proclaim that it's designed to be deleted, but really 
it just uses questions and apparently a kind of algorithm that matches friends of friends to pretend it kind of bypasses the vacuity of Tinder. But I guess also what it does is that it has this kind of cosmopolitan feel to it because you can put on there whether or not you smoke marijuana or whether or not you take drugs, you know, like in your little, you have these options on your profile and people do put these, you know, people expose their habits that once might have been seen as fairly taboo in the quest of finding love or really, in the quest of finding a you, hookup. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell me what, so what kind of things are you talking about here? So there's whether, whether you take drugs is one of them. So in your preferences, these are all of the things that appear on your profile. So your age, where you live, whether you smoke, whether you drink, whether you smoke marijuana and whether you take drugs as in like harder drugs than marijuana so like the marijuana marijuana so it's it's basically (laughs) asking yes thank you (laughs) thank you the weed whether or Um, not you smoke the weed (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) so you're so you're saying like basically they ask for a list of your vices specifically in terms of narcotic yeah which presumably if you worked for goldman sachs in Canary Wharf and we're on Bumble. Yeah. You, you absolutely would not be disclosing for fear of being screenshotted and uh, being taken through a disciplinary process. Yeah, you don't You don't actually have to put it on there, but a lot of people, when asked, could be like, oh, if, I, if they're, like, casual about it. This is what I mean. There's a kind of cosmopolitan feel, which... Personally, more I've liberal, never... at least. Yeah, may, like, but the one thing actually on Hinge is that also you can put your political allegiances. Oh, and really? It's like, is yeah. this not the one where, where like there is a spectrum which runs from very liberal to very conservative, with moderate in the middle? Is that or is that a different one? Yeah, there are four options. So there's liberal, moderate, conservative, other. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not baffling. It's like it's a it's a very narrow American yeah. version of a political spectrum where liberal is a completely misused sort of stand-in for left-wing, essentially. Um, mm. But it says so much about the American political hegemony, kind of neoliberal capitalism, that like the idea of anything more than liberalism <laughs> requiring <laughs> like needing to be put in a box marked other i mean i have a i have mm. a wider quibble here with just a, a, american misuse of very important terminology generally the way they use middle class and liberal are both extremely confusing uh, because, <laughs> because, they're, because they're both wrong and i know english is like all languages are supposed to evolve and adapt and so on but but enough because you know most adaptations of language don't involve the spreading of like the hegemony of, of this sort of a cultural empire, which is what America essentially is. So you end up with this confusing misnomer. Yeah, I think I remember ticking the box other when I was single and had hinge because I was just like, I'm not. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, other could, could mean could absolutely mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I always see it as fascist, and I just, I always like whenever I see that, I always think about all of the like Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn voters who are just like, I'm not a fucking liberal. Like, really, really taking offence the use of this app, like that to these like boxes it's being put into. Yep, that, that was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so you me- you mentioned the the hinge slogan here in passing, but I think it's really important. Mm. It's it's not just sort of a bit of marketing. Like it's it's like fundamental to the entire app is this idea that it is quote designed to be deleted. But could you unpack mm. what that means for us? 
I think it's part of the gimmick where essentially the companies are kind of suggesting that they don't really want to be in your lives forever, that they don't want to have a purchase over your life. But the thing is, is that it's all just a lie. <laughs> yeah, it's do, complete. They, it's complete yeah. bollocks. And that's, and that's yeah. what I find really interesting about it as a slogan. And today's cursed object, the hingy, is that how you pronounce it? Hingy bath bomb, mm-hmm. which we'll talk more about in a moment, I think, is part of that kind of narrative in that it's something that dissolves right it's mm. the, it's something that disappears just like hinge itself and and this isn't me being pretentious this is literally in their video advertisement that it's on youtube uh we'll put a link in the show description if should you want to see more of this but they had a video advertising campaign in the states which showed this character hinge sort of expiring uh, in a variety of, of different contexts, because like the app, it's designed to be deleted. But yeah, like you say, it's a, com- it's a complete lie, or rather it speaks to this sort of paradox that these apps are feeding on romantic failure, as mm. it were, or feeding on singledom, and needing, like, their, you know, their share price. And these are, these are all, like, dating app companies are all very big kind of Silicon Valley companies with, you know, really bloated share prices and so on. and the idea that they'd actually want people to delete them is just it's just like a straight mm. out marketing lie, <laughs> lie <laughs> yeah. essentially. Ploy. Part of the conversation around the kind of explosion of dating apps, and I guess prior to that dating websites, like in the last 10 years, is this sort of sense that dating apps have made people more commitment phobic and more sort of inclined to feel like, well, things are going well after three or four or whatever, six dates with this person I met on an app. But I've just matched with someone else that's really hot and maybe I'll like them more or maybe I'm not quite into this person enough to sort of lock things down and commit. Like they breed boredom. They breed like a kind of uh, a kind of twitchy, like, oh, there might be oh. something better out there. Like, I'm yeah. not really focusing. I'm doing this mindlessly. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, my God, that yes. person's hot. Oh, I've moved do, on. Like, <laughs> Do you know what it is, though? Do you know what it is? Like, what you're describing so well is just like, it's, a bit, it's basically the French concept of ennui, but like tailored very specifically to like this current part of the digital age. Where, where, mm. where, yes, we're like, our attention spans are shot to pieces. We're always looking for sort of some, uh, endorphins from some other source or slightly mm. more. Like a rush. a rush. Yeah, exactly. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be happy. <laughs> you mm. can, all you, all you can do is like, I mean, it's the sort of, it's the sort of the way that your brain functions when steered so heavily by the apps, I think is, is what's mm. so is what's uh, slightly worrying in that in that sort of fleeting, transient, permanently bored, permanently looking for something else sort of way. Yeah. It, that, and like also, m- I found it really hard to like read books after I've been on the apps and like never go on the apps late at night because you won't sleep because it's like almost like you're playing this game that's like underpinned by endorphins and like my attention span is like shot to shit after I've been using them. There's a completely unevidenced i must say but you know like no one's done a survey that sort of proves that dating apps have like fucked up monogamous relationships uh whatsoever (laughs) um but there is an anecdotal sense and narrative that actually dating apps had the opposite effect of what the hinge marketing is promising here which is that we are going to find you your 
and and actually this is what it comes down to this is just incredibly heteronormative stuff from a dating app it's kind of ironic sort of set, mm. sort of guiding people towards the only acceptable and kind of wanted outcome which is a monogamous not necessarily hetero but heteronormative relationship for life essentially finding the one you know like all the all the clichés essentially <laughs> i think that's what they're sort of marketing it's built on and it's what the hingy bath bomb is gross part of as well. They are cursed in a lot of senses, but I guess you meet people on them and, and should you not like Tinder or Bumble or Hinge or any of this kind of like holy trinity of apps, there are a plethora of different dating apps that have a very specific client base. So you've got like dating mm. sites like Match.com, eHarmony, Badoo, Happen, which is one where you like walk past someone, but you mm. don't say anything to them but you're both unhappen so you can like hook up with them or like something like Zoosk which I haven't been on but is quite big in other countries but you also get like more specialist ones so Muddy Matches is for those who live in lo- rural locations. <laughs> no way. Uh, twi- yeah, Twin Dog is for those that are interested in meeting fellow dog owners. Uh, <laughs> Bristler is for those who like facial hair. And Gluten-Free Singles is for those with like celiac disease. Wow. <laughs> and if you're Jewish, there's J-Swipe. If you're Christian, there's Salt. Or if you're Muslim, there's Muzmatch. So there are all of these like really specialist dating kind of avenues I guess that all follow a similar pattern and I think as a kind of late arrival to this world I had to quite quickly learn the unspoken ways that these virtual spaces are like constructed and navigated and governed almost to the extent that we might think of them as having their own culture so their own norms and values and expectations and I think this hinge bath bomb is a real like signal to that culture although i'm sure that like most hinge users would find it as cursed as like we do so i think like just briefly it's kind of uh, important to mention how it came to me so it came to me like not in a dream but in an email (laughs) from hinge (laughs) asking me to buy from its hingey spelt h-i-n-g-i-e shop which i assume is like a cute play on the brand I clicked on a picture um, and was told that for the low, low price of $10, which is £12 and 4p with international shipping, I could own this bath bomb. And the website described it as thus. Take a bath with Hingy, brackets, and your partner, exclamation mark, and watch him fizzle to death, exclamation mark. The hingy bath bomb is fully hingy shaped, complete with 3D eyeballs and lavender scented, featuring the iconic hinge app icon H. Drop in the bath at your own risk. So like, obviously, obviously this is creepy and weird for like so many reasons. Like the fact that it's got this like warning, like drop in the bath at your own risk, but also like watch it fizzle to death. But also the object looks a little bit like the cookie monster. It's got these like 3D like (laughs) cookie monster eyes. It's so weird. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we can unpack in this. But I feel like today we're kind of going to explore two kind of broad avenues of like why this object is so so cursed. So the first is the way that companies like Hinge use their brand to capitalize off of your singledom, your singleness. I don't know which one's the correct term there. And second is, I think more broadly, the kind of cursed, the cursed culture of modern dating. Yes. Because I think the one thing is, I don't even know who, 
I don't actually know who would buy this. I mean, so so yeah, that that was sort of my first question was like, this is something you can buy in a shop as opposed to like, it wouldn't be that surprising if an, if a company, you know, a Silicon Valley based app like Hinge had produced promotional marketing materials, which they handed out outside Liverpool Street Station at rush hour to get more users, like something like that. Mm. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's obviously an incredibly sort of normal marketing practice for a company like this. But no, this is a dating app that has its own online shop with merch (laughs) as if like you could be so in love with this particular brand that you would want to wear it on a baseball cap, $25, or a t-shirt, $25. Or indeed, buy a, did you say £12 including shipping? That's insane. Yeah. And also, why is it telling you to take a bath with, with Hingy, the bath bomb, and your partner? <laughs> if you're still, a, if you're, I mean, I guess if you're Polly and you had a partner and were still on Hinge, I guess. But then there are probably more, <laughs> if that were the case, are there not apps that are rather more specifically tailored to your interests and needs if you are, if you're in a Polly uh, relationship. I don't know. Um, one one thing I wanted to mention when you're listing all those other uh, dating apps, with like obviously it's become a a huge growth industry with like so many ri- big rival companies and then so many smaller specialist ones. As you were explaining, one thing I I learned this morning though is that a company called Match, which owns Match.com, which I think were one of the first web era dating kind of app. Well. Mm. websites initially membership things where you'd subscribe and uh and then sort of be matched with various people so Mat- match have become this sort of dating app behemoth mm. that that now that became the majority shareholder in hinge as well um in 2018 they bought they got to 51 percent of their shares so it sort of became the majority shareholder they also own tinder and they own okcupid and they own plenty of fish <laughs> Uh, they actually wow. they actually they actually own forty five different brands, mm. and they and according to a piece I was reading, the only notable dating app that they don't own is Bumble. In fact, which was created by the co founder of Tinder. So, like all of these people know each other, <laughs> um, and the 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 idea it's just it's sort of low key a bit sickening when you discover that that Hinge has been sort of designed in opposition to Tinder. And, you know, OkCupid's been designed in opposition to Tinder as well. But they're actually all owned by the same people. And, but yeah, they, they, you know, I suppose when you have that model of monopoly capitalism, it's all the more important that you distinguish the brand identities of each of your sort of child brands, as it were, from the parent company so that they can successfully compete with each other and cater to different bits of the market. So that's presumably why Hinge have pushed so hard at this like designed to be deleted thing. Like we're the ones for serious people who are serious about finding a serious partner. Mm. And to that end, I mean let me just tell you a couple of the other things that are in the shop because I cannot believe like a hinge bath bomb is is icky and gross for all the reasons that you say. But it's also not quite as nuts as uh, a pair of hinge vans, the trainers, which uh, cost a hundred US dollars for people who just had to like wear the logo on their feet. You can get a hinge pinata. Oh my god! Wait, 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 wait! It's not just that it's the product. I think it's the descriptions that are even more like horrendous. The hinge vans. Oh, the yeah. description is hingey loves being walked all over. These custom-painted, made-to-order vans feature painted black hingey on the back of each shoe. There's a hingey s'mores kit, 
where you can like melt marshmallows. So like a marshmallow has a H on it. And the description is burn hingy to death in the most delicious way possible. He's a marshmallow. <laughs> and for those but- that don't know, uh, people who aren't maybe quite as intoxicated with American pop culture as us, s'mores are like... <laughs> Um, actually quite rubbish American uh, but very beloved American dessert thing which you do around a campfire mm. where you have melted marshmallow mm. with like chocolate and biscuits you know those innocent drinks that are like drink me cold and it was like super <laughs> creepy and weird tweevertising Twe- yes tweevertising yeah but I feel like this thing this hingy thing obviously the dating app is hinge and hingy is like this small what like it looks like a kind of rectangle like a kind of square fluffy creature with two eyes with a h on it that they call hingy it's doing a similar thing you know it's trying to be all this kind of cutesy tweevertising but also with this kind of of edge of like oh I'm, you're gonna burn me to death but it's almost <laughs> like it's like an attempt to be like a small uh anthropomorphized like cartoon character you know it's a, ma- in our it's lives, a mascot is, essentially isn't it's it? a mascot yeah for sure so the repeat oh, the on. recurring theme here is the idea of the dissolution or disappearance or destruction of hingy which clearly somebody's had a lot of fun in a marketing office coming up with all this bollocks but all of the items <laughs> in the shop apart from maybe like one or two, like the T-shirt, are, guess what, sold out, which I, can only, which I sort of think they possibly didn't even ever exist. Like the 500 US dollar delete day necklace, which comes with the day that you deleted Hinge because you found your true love and got married or whatever. Um, and it cost 500 US dollars. I mean, this... This has been created, in t- I'm quite confident in saying, entirely so that it is written about on clickbait websites and mm. sucker podcasters like ourselves get taken in and talk about it. And the brand gets, you know, a greater hearing and a bigger audience and stuff. Nobody's buying this shit. But it is a quite significant and gross and cursed thing that it was created in the first place and says a great deal, I think. This comes back to the question of who is actually buying this stuff because your partner, unless it was like a very, very, very ironic, would surely wouldn't. No one would buy you something like that. Nobody, nobody, nobody's. They don't. They don't need anybody to buy this stuff. I'm convinced of it. I think, like, because there are clickbait articles out there about some of this content. Like one of the headlines I'm looking at here is Hinge, comma the new dating app designed to be deleted, and it's sort of got a bunch of info, maybe a few critical thoughts about sort of, you know, why this is a bit gross. But then it's basically just a press release and it goes on to quote Hinge's chief marketing officer, Nathan Roth, who says the ad campaign is all about portraying the app as something, quote, designed to be deleted. It represents the notion Mm. that Hinge is, quote, coming along for the adventure as you date. Sorry, Hinge is coming along for the adventure as you date and gets getting (laughs) to know people. The more you find success, the more Hinge meets its demise and gets destroyed. The story that this therefore tells is like one about the complete triumph of marketing and branding over production. I mean, to mm. me, the, these apps like are about, or rather, these apps sort of tell a story of the of the period that we live in, and that's, I guess, what we're interested in it for because that's what cursed objects is about, <laughs> um, mm. in a sense. Is is the sort of commodification of our personal and emotional lives, like we're in a context where you know, people are time poor and do not do not have the the well the actual time in the day or the emotional wherewithal to sort of find the perfect partner. 
And these apps sort of exploit young people's young being abroad statement here but like mm. you know young adults desire to like have it all in inverted commas and you know have a successful career and a, a thriving social life but also like a thriving romantic and sex life as well it's sort of like an apt service for the precariat essentially like in the romantically precarious Completely. <laughs> i say that these are like curse but actually in a way, they kind of fit and reflect and are a product of modern life quite exactly. And like, they clearly work and they fill a void for like people who are too busy with like work, work and life balance or those who are not confident in going up to someone at a bar. But also they kind of also encapsulate, especially through this bath bomb, the ways that brands capitalize off your like life experiences and pretend to want you to be single when actually, or like want you to be like successful and happy when actually they want you to use their product. To me, it's like funny to see things like dating become commodified and then materialized in this sort of, and sold and uh, in this, in this way and become part of the economy in, in sort of a serious way, which they, as I say, they are like, they're all owned by massive kind of bear moth companies yeah, they're like billion dollar industries, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I was reading in the Financial Times, because I'm very posh, <laughs> that uh, in the second quarter of 2020, Tinder reported a record three billion swipes in a single day. And shares in uh, the parent company Match, whose subsidiaries also include Hinge and OkCupid, as you mentioned, traded at a record high in mid-December as it joined the NASDAQ 100. Oh, really? Are they on NASDAQ? Bloody hell. They're on, they're on NASDAQ. <laughs> I, I guess, like, part of, like, expansion then becomes, as I say, this marketing, but also this sort of narrativizing of it providing something more than a fairly blunt service of telling you where there is somebody who's single in your area, essentially. Yeah, um, and yeah. so as part of that, I don't, don't know if you're aware of this, Kasia, but Hinge have also launched not one but two podcasts in the last couple of years. There was one uh. in... Yeah, so we have rivals. We could get, we could have got them on as no. a guest. <laughs> um, so they have, so they have one in. They had one in 2019 called Ghost Stories, which seemed to have a limited run, which was a, story, a series of podcasts where the two very affable hosts uh, listen to and discuss stories about people being ghosted. So essentially about ro- romantic failure. Uh, which, as I right, said, like yeah. the en- the engine that feeds this economy is like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fa- obviously I'm using failure in a completely non <laughs> like in a, a tongue in cheek fashion. What I mean is like romantic mm. need and desire, essentially, and, mm. and the idea that guess what, not everybody is in a happy couple the whole time. Um, mm. And it, anyway, in 2020, they then Hinge then launched another po- dating podcast called Dating Sucks, um, hosted by two friends who met on Hinge. They met on Hinge, they're now, they're not together, they're mates apparently, but they met on mm. Hinge and one of one of whom is Hinge's uh, senior content producer, that's her job title. It's unbearably cringe, but yeah, the, I think her job title there, like even more so than the fact they've got two podcasts, which seems mental to, mm. to on its own, and right, the, they have a job title which is content producer and I think that's a really important pointer to sort of the role that these sort of apps play in the sort of platform capitalism of the present that is kind of has been evolving fast and is just going to kind of keep getting bigger is the idea that something like a dating app of course it needs content of course it needs to produce content uh mm. and it's something that 
a lot of brands have got into in the last few years. It's something that I noticed when writing about Naomi Klein's book, No Logo, a year or so ago. So it was the 20th anniversary of this really seminal book, which I think is sort of quite relevant to this discussion in a way, because it's sort of about how brands get personified and acquire a, a sort of an identity beyond merely being what a corporation was originally, which was just, you know, a group of people attempting to make profit off a particular productive activity. The brands sort of followed the corporation or where it became attached to the corporation as our advertising and marketing grew. And now at this point, <clears throat> the brand is essentially everything and as part of that brand building, you need brand narratives. These are all absolutely horrible phrases that will make everyone feel sick, but they are important ones because mm. they're the ones that the industry uses about itself. And it's how it's how capitalism works. It's how our, our political economy that we all live under functions mm. through through wankers like this, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when I, so when I interviewed, I interviewed Naomi Klein in, in 2019 on the 20th anniversary of the publication of No Logo for a piece that was in The Observer. It's on the Guardian website. So Naomi Klein's idea is that branding is is not merely advertising, okay? It's, it's actually bigger than advertising, uh, whereby the mm. brand sort of is the product. She said... The successful corporations of the future don't produce products. They produce brand meaning. The dissemination of the idea of themselves is the act of production. And it's an enormously invasive product. And what? And that was in 2003 she was speaking. This was not something she said to me uh, <laughs> last the other year. Mm. So it's something she said in 2003, which is actually, you know, as prophetic as, as, as No Logo, the book itself was, actually. I mean, the reason I was interested in the 20th anniversary of No Logo to begin with is because it was so formative for me um, in understanding capitalism and the role that brands played. But it also, everything that she predicted not only happened, but it got much worse than she'd ever predicted. And yet everyone <laughs> stopped fighting it. Like the, mm. the spirit of the 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, maybe not so much 2002, but period because i think 9-11 is a, a big part of what happened here during that turn of the millennium period you've got like a real kind of interlinked network of emerging kind of global resistance to corporate capitalism to sweatshops to environmental degradation to over-invasive advertising to coca-cola having exclusive contracts with american schools to like feed kids toxic levels of sugar a broad spectrum of different corporate activities but all of which were really negative and there was a great deal of resistance to that and it just sort of fell away and we all gave up and they won like that's the really mm. depressing verdict that i have <laughs> um but 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 once we're past once we sort of we've moved on from feeling depressed about it i think it's important to analyze like how it's changed in the last 20 years and how it's got more extreme. And one of the, and by it, I mean brands kind of colonization of every inch of our attention span and indeed mm. our physical space as well. One example from back in the day was like Disney's creation of their own town, of, uh, which is called Celebration. Uh, it's one of the sort of more over the top examples, like a 3D manifestation of Disney's brand values as a real life town. And those brand values are like really terrifying, really conservative, really heteronormative values where, you know, it's a sort of, it's a dystopia essentially of like 
Because I've never heard of it. Is it is yeah. it literally like a town that you go yeah. to, like yeah. a physical place, almost yeah. like a heritage site or something, that you would go out on a day to this town, which is called... Celebration. Uh, not quite. Celebration. So it's it's actually worse than that. It's not... It's not like a, right. <laughs> it's not a model village. It's mm. a literal town where people have bought houses and live their lives in a very, oh. <laughs> it's kind of like Edward Scissorhands, wow. but, but without Edward Scissorhands. Like it's like everything is perfectly mm. manicured. You have to mow your lawn on, you know, th- between this time and this time on Tuesday afternoon, or you get a fine. Like it's, as I say, a 3D manifestation of the brand values, and it's a real-life functioning town. Um, it's wow. not a tourist. It's not a tourist attraction. And so, beyond like privatized public space or like billboards, you know, on the tube or whatever, here's like an entire civilization essentially that is a brand, which is which is mm. yeah, completely terrifying. Uh, it, really, it's, really terrifying. <laughs> it's like a reasonably old example. I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head when it was founded, but it's the last sort of few decades i would say and things have just sort of kicked into overdrive since no logo came out and in the last 20 years i would say in the same period that all these dating apps have emerged so it was such that we sort of now live in a world where like kfc bought a dj slot for a virtual colonel sanders did you see this a year or two ago <laughs> um so so yeah no. the, the, so there was yeah dj dj colonel sanders playing at some terrible edm festival in the states so that so yeah like that's that's how sort of <laughs> tangible material and physical some of these sort of branding mm-hmm. adventures have gone and what's i think what's what fucks me off as well is just you can sort of smell the satisfaction of the overpaid advertising executives who are corroding like the everything mm. that is pure and beautiful <laughs> in the world mm. um everything that's pure and beautiful about youth culture or pop culture and acting like as sort of just unapologetic parasites on 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 that kind of culture and it's something that you see nike doing with like black british music all the time you know i got very very mad about like the nike london advert being reported on as if it was like a genuine moment of cultural production do you remember the nike london ad from about two or three yeah years yeah ago? i do i do i do content wise yeah, like, very good yeah you know fun yeah. and like like, you know, and I completely understood why I think particularly like Black Britons were like, young Black Britons who were into art musicians like gigs were like, it's so sick to see A, the music I love and B, the London that I recognise uh, mm. as opposed to just Buckingham Palace and Trafalgar Square in, mm. you know, on this stage. And I totally like rate that and respect that and understand that. I also resent to an enormous degree that places like the BBC were like reporting on the launch day of this Nike advert as if like Beyonce had released a new album or something of of similar stature the brands now produce the culture for us because partly because there's no money for anyone else to do it um so you have things like so like a comparison I made when I wrote about Naomi Klein and, and No Logo in 2019 was that Back in the 90s, in Seinfeld, you'd have Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld very ostentatiously drinking a can of Pepsi and wearing Nike trainers. Like, so they, mm. you know, product placement was a big thing on TV and, and particularly, like, post-war decades. And it's like, it's like, 
it's like a cultural reference point that's been like taking the piss out of in like quite a lot of films, hasn't it? Yeah. It's kind of like, Wait oh, you know, we're in the Vietnam War. Oh, I can't. I, I'm just going to take this sip of Coca Cola yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. in this like in the middle of this really heated like heated moment. So it's like something that's like even as a cultural reference point, it's been like it's happened and people are taking the piss out of it, right? To yeah. like huge huge amounts, just justifiably, and and you know, it's not. Mm. Yeah, so it's not in that in a sense, it's not new that corporations via their brands and their marketing wings would you know dabble in uh in culture and and sort of you know help fund it which you know mm. all culture needs funding and it's not it's not funded adequately by the state and that's what that's where they sort of step in but yeah the 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 comparison or rather the change that i think i can see since the 90s or since the 20th century generally is like whereas you would have had jerry seinfeld drinking pepsi and wearing nike on his sitcom seinfeld we now have Pepsi Max TV uh, on YouTube. Mm. We have Nike TV on YouTube. And it's not just where they host their latest advert. They produce their own content. They they produce short documentaries. They produce featurettes and they run competitions. They have interviews with people who, with like prominent people who are official partners, you know, who, who are sponsored athletes or musicians or whatever. And the view counts of these videos are often in the millions. These aren't like incidental mm. things. And they, so they are now producing the content themselves. And that's exactly what Hinge are doing here when they make, when they create their own podcast. It's why they need a content director. I mean, firstly, I kind of wanted to ask you two things. Yeah. The first thing I wanted to ask you is, is it necessarily, I mean, I know in this podcast, we kind of shy away from this dichotomy between good and bad. Like, oh, is it a bad thing that Nike have this kind of, I don't know, or Nike or Pepsi or whatever would have like a YouTube channel? Is it a bad, yeah. like, but I, I don't want to go down that avenue necessarily of like good or bad. But I kind of wanted to, I kind of wondered why you found it so, so uncomfortable or why you found it so something to be skeptical of. Because I'm sure there'll be loads of people that like listen who are kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, but they have like a TV program, but that's how people are attracted to brands. Like, what is it about them having that that feels so wrong? Yeah, so like, I think it's important to emphasize that like, I, w- what am I wearing? I'm literally wearing a T-shirt with a Ralph Lauren uh, <laughs> like logo on right now. I've taken off my uh, Adidas trainers. You know, this is the world we live in. I am... Mm absolutely not going to go down the road of like endorsing sort of the okay i guess the opposite sort of subculture would be the maligned and sort of largely forgotten world of ad busters which is this magazine i used to be very into when i was 18 um (laughs) which was a kind of anti-capitalist magazine that did something they called subvertising where they like uh, or rather they 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 endorse a lot of subvertising which is where people like go and find billboards and like go you know change just do it so it says just don't do it oh see did we make you think there like obviously that's fucking embarrassing (laughs) and it has no political weight whatsoever and it's never made anybody think and it's essentially sort of the it's the equivalent of those t-shirts you get in camden market that say Mm -hmm. uh enjoy cocaine and it's cocaine is in the font of coca-cola like there's nothing clever about that obviously it's almost so unclever that it's cool like it's like a, a 
could almost see myself mm. wearing one of those t-shirts because mm. they're so terrible or Addy mm. hash that was another one where the adidas logo yeah. has turned into i pooed into do you remember weed. i pooed oh, <laughs> yeah that was a particularly that, bad i, th- I think that actually almost t-shirt. brought apple apple and their share price to its knees because it was just so <laughs> such biting satire no like uh, so like i'm i'm aware as well that we live in i have you know tastes in sort of fashion and food and drink that do not preclude an attraction to logos and brand identities it's a waste of energy to sort of pretend otherwise or to try and persuade people Mm. otherwise I think what's important is to understand what happens to the quote-unquote content when it is being Mm. produced by a corporation like I think my Mm. part of the reason I get really agitated about this is because well no logo is a very formative book for me and then as I got into journalism, there were books like Nick Davies' Flat Earth News coming out, which was also really formative to me, which in summary is about the influence that PR has on journalism and, and the, mm. gr- the growing, gr- increasingly negative and increasingly imperceptible influence that PR has on journalism, whereby mm. you'll get things that are just a press release essentially rewritten as an article, well, barely rewritten, copied and pasted Mm, almost. mm. And you get that increasingly um, as resources are limited, as, you know, in an online journalism culture where clicks are vital Mm. and getting as much content up as possible. So, you know, like a newspaper like The Independent is quite famous for just like asking its, its reporters to just get as as many as much stuff up as possible as fast as possible mm. and anyway what we, what you see basically is a, la- a, a less and less discernment about the content the more the more this goes on one of the things that makes it uncomfortable is that the more that we see and buy into these brands the more that we are kind of I guess the more that we are like funding a growth, a kind of exponential growth of like capitalism as a project, right? So it means that like no matter how many outrages there are like about Nike or Adidas using slave labor to make their shoes, people don't seem to stop buying these products because the brand Mm. is so strong and it almost kind of creates like a protective layer. So Mm. we kind of live in an age now where it's like, oh, you know, uh, these these brands are getting cancelled. And it's like, well, Nestle got cancelled and then got uncancelled really quickly to the extent where it probably didn't really get cancelled too much. Even though literally... Even though it did, like, loads of people rejected it, but it did, It like, you know, it's still it's still producing your favourite chocolate bars or, you know, like, Nike is still using, from my knowledge, like, very, very questionable sources on how its, like, products are made. I, I think, if anything, it's got harder to work out um, the supply chains that these corporations rely on to make their very cheap trainers and their ma- make their massive, massive profits for their shareholders. As scrutiny from sort of because of the quote unquote ethical consumerism and NGOs doing really good lobbying work to raise awareness of kind of the those supply chains and the damage that is done by uh, these you know corporations that all want to be our mates far from our mm. view as in you know as Western privileged people who are shielded like ninety nine percent of the time from the the many. Uh, what they call them externalities <laughs> the mm. uh, externalities sorry to be clear is the byword that is used in the corporate world essentially for things like environmental damage or like a fire in a factory that did not have good health and safety regulations or wasn't keeping to the health and safety regulations those those are all sort of seen as externalities and they they're not they are kept a world away 
from the brands that are on Twitter being sassy to each other in in a in the brand voice or uh doing woke adverts like woke woke advertising is like another part of this picture i think so you know when you've got you've got dove soap challenging sort of body fascism or gillette purporting to tackle toxic masculinity uh Mm. through their advertising (laughs) or you know not Mm. i mean nike are off the charts with this stuff and always have been really and actually actually there's a quote i want to read to you regarding how nike view their role as a corporation yeah. Can I just say, like, just on the Gillette thing, what I think is mm. so interesting as well is that people buy into the brand so much that Gillette can do, like, a couple of adverts which are, like, oh, about, like, toxic masculinity. And there is actually a, a backlash against them it, to the extent where, like, loads of people were saying, oh, I don't want to buy Gillette anymore because it's it's playing into these, like, social issues. I, th- oh. I find that so fascinating that, like, yeah. people themselves buy into these brands so much like so sometimes it can work out for the for the best you know when it when an advert or ad campaign works but the fact that some people really associate their life choices and their purchases with their kind of like values shows the power Mm. of the brand doesn't it Mm. sorry back on tonight unfortunately yes no you're absolutely you're absolutely right and to that end you know sort of what we've seen um nike do in the last few years is particularly around the World Cup and then Colin Kaepernick taking the knee was like a, a really new level of sort of harnessing woke power in their advertising. So they there's a sort of portentous mixture of like feminist and self-help rhetoric in the adverts they had with Megan Rapinoe, the American mm-hmm. uh, footballer and the rest of the US women's football team. So they, there was a line in one of the ads which was like, we break every single glass ceiling. And then mm. they did the same with an ad with Colin Kaepernick, who is the NFL quarterback that started the kneeling thing uh, as a protest against police racism and brutality. He became a really controversial figure um, in the US uh, because, because apparently like opposing racism and police brutality is controversial. But, you know, Nike then backed him rather than dropping him for daring to speak his mind on this uh, apparently controversial subject. Um, Nike backed him as it was reported, with an advert which was a celebration of the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign, which is mad to me in its own right, the fact that you need to have a 30th anniversary of a fucking advert. Um, mm. but, 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 but yeah, they marked the 30th <laughs> anniversary with a new one, um, which, which sort of like elevated Kaepernick's kind of incredible courage and stuff, which obviously he does have incredible courage. Obviously what he did was amazing. Nike's kind of parasitic ability to then be like we'll have a bit of the fucking money off the back of that thank you uh it was obviously not remotely surprising what is interesting is surprising perhaps is what the nike ceo mike parker said following that kaepernick advert advert he responded to some of the controversy around the advert itself and i don't believe there was any controversy really but he told marketing Mm. week that he was proud of the advert and it was a success because, here, here's the key line, it was a success because it drove, quote, record engagement. Mm. Not sales, brand engagement. Mm. Quote, mm. we are motivated to inspire our consumers to connect and engage, unquote. That's what Parker said. So yeah. they're motivated, motivated to inspire our customers to connect and engage. Not to buy trainers. Nobody mentioned mm. trainers. Nobody mentioned like, sportswear. But to, exactly. Are you are you in with us? Are you down with us? Are you are you like on board with 
everything that we believe in. Are we your friend? Are we your yeah. inspiration? And like, it's it, it would be it, I, you get the sense they think it would be fucking gauche to even consider talking about the new trainers they've got that are a bit shinier mm. than the last ones. Like, mm. it's I I just I don't know how anybody works in that world and doesn't feel like a deep sense of hollowness. Yeah, um, yeah. There's like a super what like what kind of really struck me when you were saying that is the way that a lot of these brands kind of feed off social division as a way to like differentiate mm. themselves as some something different. So, I mean, I think I'm sure there are just like some people in there, like I don't know, their marketing or whatever boards who think, oh, we're just gonna we're gonna back this person or whatever. But I think truly they feed off the social division because and and they entrench the brand further because people are like, well, I support Colin Kaepernick and like I'm gonna start buying Nike more. And people that <laughs> aren't are like, oh, I'm not really sure about that. But like I don't think it creates I don't think it creates enough of a divide in the people's in people's minds that they would really stop buying that brand. Because if you're mm. someone that's always worn Nike shoes, I I mean you might be like, oh yeah, you know one advert but chances are that you won't chances are you'll keep buying nike mm. <laughs> it'll just entrench the brand for some people even more and it's apple had this so much like i remember being at school and a friend of mine really loved apple and when she went for her apple interview she just said it was so intense the amount that you have to proclaim your love for the brand for really? apple almost the extent of like very weird levels like of like essentially cult like devotion and there was this really strong like almost like a cult leader in steve jobs and you can Absolutely. see how how people have kind of moved away from apple since since he passed away you know it's kind of almost like oh well it's just not the same apple that it used to be and really you know i don't know what do you mean like they still because apparently in china Apple is not a brand that is associated with difference. So here it's kind of like entrenched this kind of like different brand. But apparently in China, it's a brand of conformity because of the different political shout system. Out, <laughs> shout out to the Chinese. They've nailed it. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so much more obvious about what the branding you, is doing there. You've you just reminded me like of a slightly drunken conversation I had in like August last year during that window where we could actually see people and socialize outside. Um, and I was having a conversation with, with my my partner actually and her mates about about the idea that something had or somebody had big apple like apple energy or android mm. energy so the mm. idea that which is exactly the sort of anthropomorphization of of these corporations that they that they want us to to do and obviously we were willingly going along with that and being like oh god that's that has such android energy i think i guess by that we meant it's like a bit uglier more functional yeah. <laughs> you know, gets the job done without any flash isn't showing off which you know is that's that's what i think of, that's what you know the brand of, of of an android phone says to me and that's why i have mm. one because that's you know mm. that's why i've said but yeah i mean i think 100 percent. i've got ask- like i've got big apple energy but like outdated apple energy all of my phones <laughs> are like, I've, like you're, an I, you're an ipod them. from 2006 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not not for any ideological reason other than just i can't be trusted with my possessions <laughs> so like all of my <laughs> all of my like mobile our phones are from like CEX and they're all like (laughs) they're all like I bought them all for like 120 quid so they can like take pictures and do all of that stuff but my current mobile if I like take it outside and it's cold it just crashes because it just can't deal with it (laughs) yeah that's a a level of sensitivity that I almost find slightly touching like it makes it seem 
makes it sort of anthropomorphizes your phone if it's a bit like oh it's too cold i can't cope yeah. you know i get that um so i don't know why like it it's like a cute accent. like a cute old cat but actually it's a fucking pain in the ass so, <laughs> absolutely of course, yeah of course that's super annoying so on the subject of anthropomorphizing them like i was trying to remember if this i think this was in a film called the corporation from 2003 mm-hmm. which i totally which i again i'm jumping back to this period where there was actually i think a bit of a wider cultural backlash against the branding of everything i mm. mean I, th- I then think what happened is we all f- gave up like the war on terror started everyone was distracted you know iraq mm. happened you know and then everyone just forgot about it and the corporations won Woo-hoo. um mm. but yeah but prior to that there was a very good film called the corporation that came out in 2003 i think this is where i'm remembering it from though maybe like some michael moore film which would be even more which would be a bit embarrassing because he's a bit embarrassing in which People are stopped on the street and vox popped and asked to, for example, describe McDonald's as if it was a person, describe Nike as if it was a person, describe Disney as if it was a person. And they were all able to do so immediately. They were like, Mm. McDonald's. Oh, it's just like, it's like your old friend from school who you always know that when you see them, you're going to have a great time. And none of these people were responding by like describing any of the uh, any of the corporations as like oh you know it's a, it's a sinister old man that's hiding in the corner and waiting to steal your you know your bones mm. like like they're all positive <laughs> but the point the point is sorry I've been I've, I've been uh, been watching Bleak House and I think some of the like Dickensian <laughs> kind of like darkness has uh, has infected my thoughts I was thinking of Tolkien Horn the lawyer there when I said that anyway um, but yeah the, like when when people personify or sorry, anthropomorphize those um, those corporations. You know that doesn't mean they're sheeple, that they're suckers, that that capitalism has completely like rotted their brains. It, it just means mm. that marketing's working. Essentially, I think the interaction of brands on Twitter has taken that so far, in which they mm. in which they attempt to. For the people who don't know, this has like been a thing over the last few years. As brands have developed social, realize how important social media is. You'll have like Pizza Hut atting Taco Bell and teasing each other. Um, mm. You know, and obviously the people behind this are underpaid, early career yeah. marketing people <laughs> who deserve absolutely no abuse whatsoever. Only our sympathy. Mm. You know, just like low yeah. level pe- workers in PR deserve all of our sympathy. However, the structure they're part of is horrendous and and people hate it people hate that mm. uh, a lot of people hate that kind of um excessive twee, it's like twee exchange yeah. yeah yeah and also because always there's like some lame exchange which is like haha well maybe you should try the tacos or some something yeah, yeah. super lame <laughs> and then there's always like four or five articles in newspapers that's like you have to see <laughs> this exchange between your favorite yeah. brands which and comes- to my shame i have clicked on that before and i've been like oh that's not even funny like that hasn't yeah. even made me chortle. Oh, no. i haven't chortled <laughs> but i've i've you haven't chortled even wow i haven't so, chortled um, i haven't even that. chortled once what, what a word so that's the beanie <laughs> to me and that, and that comic but yeah I, I mean i've i've hate clicked on them as well i mean i think that's that's mm-hmm. what's that's what's so uh innovating about all of this is is the fact that like mm. we're it's very easy to be suckered in by by sort of responding is like well this is terrible click read mm. you know like of course of course you want to know about the terrible thing they're doing but uh, you know at least people have had that reaction it shows that we haven't all all is not lost that our brains haven't all been completely rotted by mm. it 
And on that note... <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I've been Dan Hancocks. And I'm Kasha T. And support us on our Patreon if you want me to buy a phone that doesn't uh, die in cold weather. <laughs> but also as a way to reimburse me for the hinge bath bomb that I did buy <laughs> because we have a <laughs> exclusively buy the product policy on cursed objects if we're going to discuss it. Yeah, hit us up, hit us up on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, do subscribe to our Patreon, or if you can't afford to do that, do please at least uh, tell a friend how great this podcast is and uh, hit Kasher up on Hinge. <laughs> 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 <laughs>